It's the Money Mitch Effect. Cold Open. Mitch Michaels here. The Indians are in the World Series. The Cleveland Indians are in the World Series. I had to get that in before the music drops. <laughs> Let's go. Welcome to the show. Mitch Michaels here on the Money Mitch Effect. Hope you're having a wonderful Friday. Got a couple of different guests for your listening pleasure. George Pinozian is going to come on and talk tennis. Nick Kyrgios' latest meltdown and the ramifications of that, as well as preseason basketball. We'll dip into that, some fantasy football talk, and we'll talk about baseball playoffs. As I mentioned, Indians World Series, Dodgers and Cubs still battling it out. But first, we're going to do another edition of the College Football Roundtable. Ron Schultz and Matt Wittenberg stepping in to discuss all the latest matchups, break down Alabama's dominance, and more. It's the Money Mitch Effect. You could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with me, and I appreciate that. Let's go. All right, so it's time for another edition of the College Football Roundtable. This literally is a round table, so it makes a ton of sense. But Very appropriate. We got Matt Wittenberg and Ron Schultz here. Guys, welcome back. I'm definitely the head knight of the round table. Okay, well, we'll get into rank a little later. <laughs> Happy to be here, Mitch. Congrats yeah. on those uh, Indians of yours. Know, yeah, absolutely. We might, we might be seeing your Dodgers. Good year for yeah, I know. Good year it's, for uh, well, we do. We talk a lot of baseball. You know, I'm all I'm breathing with excitement. You know, so we'll we'll see how that goes a little later. But don't want to get ahead of myself. Absolutely. Well, let's get to college football and uh, week seven. Hard to believe we're moving right along, but week seven uh, was a dandy, and we're starting to learn more about a lot of teams. There's always the ebb and flows of surprising upsets and teams that just stink up uh, the joint that we expect to be better. But the big consistent this year, no surprise, guys, are the Crim- Crimson Tide in Alabama. They went 49-10 to over Tennessee at Tennessee. And guys, start with you with, we can't be surprised anymore with what Nick Saban and Alabama does, but this was a statement against a team that you know, was having a good year in Tennessee that could not play with them at all in that game. No, no. Sun rises in the east, sets in the west. Yeah, and Al- Jared Goff, yeah. right? Yeah. Alabama's good at football. Yes, it's very surprising. Unless you check. There's no delay. We got it. I think that Tennessee's whole MO has been the slow starts and... Nick Saban knew that his his team could take advantage and had the talent to do that. And not a whole lot of uh, passing offense out of this game, but then again, they didn't need Jalen Hurts to chuck the ball 40 times. He rushed for uh, over 100 yards, threw for over 100 yards. And uh, we were talking a little bit before this podcast how uh, Lane Kiffin sort of like sticking it to uh, teams who have screwed him over in the past, continued the trend against uh, Tennessee. And uh, so far in his career, hasn't worked out for him as a head coach, but the dude is a great offensive coordinator. I actually had this thought uh, on the drive up over that eventually he's going to get his second, or I mean, I guess fourth chance to be a head coach. And one that made actually a lot of sense to me, the more I thought about it, would be Oregon, if they end up in parting ways with Mark Helfrich. He knows the conference, he he's does. an offensive minded coach, can recruit California. And uh, I'm sure the folks in Eugene wouldn't be super excited about it at first, but I think that the more that you look at it on paper, it could, could end up being a good fit if it happens. I don't disagree with that. Uh, the one thing, though, that I want to consider is that he's got a pretty sick gig working in Alabama, making a couple million dollars oh, a year. Sure. He's, he's an offensive coordinator. Right now. 
And who knows how long Saban's going to be there. He might be waiting for that job to open up. Saban's in his 60s now. Kiffin's still young. Not a lot of uh, urgency. Now, Ron, I had a bad feeling about this game for a Tennessee perspective, given their trend of starting slow and given the fact that Alabama's defense with the lead, when they get it out in front, they don't give up leads. No, I mean, Tennessee just could not move the ball whatsoever. And once you saw that Tennessee was coming out with their slow start once again, as they have you know, the last couple weeks against their big opponents, I felt like it was over pretty much as soon as it started. Once you saw that Tennessee could not move the ball, I've been a, a huge proponent of Josh Dobbs keeping the ball on those options, and they just they, they don't do it enough because I think that would have worked. And you know what I found ironic? Hertz was doing it all day and just running it down their throat. I was super impressed by Hertz's running abilities and his ability to know when to hand the ball off and when to keep it and tuck it. But he's every, a, every time he kept it back. I mean, he was gone. He's, it was, he's showed tremendous poise dating back to, you know, overcoming that deficit at Ole Miss when there's ever been adversity this year. There has been much, but he's been able mm-hmm. to handle it. And you're right about Dobbs. I, I don't know if it's a confidence thing. He's, yeah, I don't know if it's a he's, coaching he's, thing. Yeah, he looks good at times. Thing, he looks terrible at times. That's I agree. Thing. Totally I agree. At times, he looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And then at other times, he looks like he doesn't know how to play the game. So yeah. it's it's really a, an interesting dynamic going on there in Tennessee. Um, and if they still think that they can win the East, which is absolutely still a possibility, they need to get it figured out right. sooner and, than later. And now that the Florida game is actually going to take place with the well, LSU. And if, and if you're a Tennessee <laughs> fan, you were the biggest proponent of saying that game needs to happen. Because if they were to get screwed out of the SEC title game because of that game, uh, I know a couple of Tennessee fans that uh, would not be super... Oh yeah, get that okay. second chance at Bama. <laughs> right, exactly, and I'm sure they they love nothing more than to get a second chance at Bama. But man, if I, if I just didn't yeah. see anything that showed me that even if they do get a second chance, that right. they could come I mean, out and, and, and get yeah, it. Yeah, let's be real about it. I, the second chance, I don't see it going much different than the first. No, Talking not. college football uh, roundtable, money Mitch effect. All right, let's move on to another top team undefeated that didn't have an easy time at all. Lucky to still be undefeated, the Clemson Tigers. And with looking at what Clemson did, they were down, or they were tied 17-0 in the fourth quarter. Should have lost that game. North Carolina State calls one of the worst plays I've seen in a pass play in the red zone in the tie game. Loses a couple yards. Clem, uh, the kicker missed a chip shot field goal. Clemson wins in overtime. They say it's better to be lucky than good. And for Clemson, they're living it because that was an atrocious performance that they just barely survived. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. North Carolina State, actually a surprisingly good team. A lot of people didn't know much about them going into that game. They did beat Notre Dame in that uh, hurricane game, which was my first experience watching them. (laughs) But they, yeah, they really played well. Uh, Clemson, really sloppy with the ball. I think that uh, Deshaun Watson fumbled it twice on his own and threw an interception. And uh, North Carolina State was able to take advantage, but obviously just when it came down to it, they didn't have the horses quite to get it done, and that chip shot field goal goes in. It's a whole different story. I just don't get why they didn't go. Like, they were so passive as they got into the red zone. It was almost like they were expecting to just lay up and kick a field goal, and, you know, we talk about college football kickers, Ron, not being reliable. Obviously, he should have made that kick, but the decision-making when it got down to it, I thought was way, way, way too conservative. 
you, you got to go out with that killer's mentality, and they just simply didn't do that. Uh, and they had to they had to capitalize on the on the mistakes that Clemson made because Clemson was like Witt was saying those those three turnovers. I think two of them were in the red zone. I'm a little worried about this Clemson team though as a national contender because this isn't the first game where we've watched them play and think there's a lot of good, obviously, mm-hmm. but there's some sloppiness. There's just inexplicable decision making. They're starting to alarm me on the national stage how they can compete against Alabama, against Ohio State or Michigan if they play like this, or even Louisville again. Yeah, I think from what I've seen from them is the fact that they play to the level of their competition. Uh, They showed up completely against Louisville. Overall, honestly, if Clemson is to be a national contender, it's I I know they have a Heisman frontrunner or, you know, second in a Heisman voting right now uh, in Deshaun Watson, but it's going to be on the back of that defense because that defense – Gave up only one touchdown to NC State. They're, yeah. That that game is over as long as they don't turn the ball over, and Deshaun Watson doesn't throw that pick six. That's the first of his career too. But uh, yeah. So no, you're not you're not counting on him to be doing that a lot, which he won't. But I think that defense is the the unsung hero of the Clemson undefeated season right now. Right, and I guess what I think it's more along the lines of I'm worried about this offense with the lead. We've seen them. We've seen them play great to take the lead, to come out firing. But against Auburn, against Louisville when they got up, they just go into neutral and kind of lose their identity a little bit. And we've seen teams come back and make games interesting. Now they're still undefeated, but I would like to see you know a little more sharp, polished-up game out of Watson in that offense. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to have a big-time opportunity and I guess what is sort of their last marquee game is at Florida State, and not this coming weekend, but the week after. So... If they come out and put on the clinic, if they show that they're number top four team in the country. They should, because that Florida State should, defense absolutely. isn't that good. Florida State's going to get up for that game, though. You know, they know that, that that could be their season. It's been a season of disappointments for them. And if uh, Deshaun Watson and company comes out flat, on the road, hostile environment, I still think that they end up winning that game, but it's a dangerous way to live. I feel like it's a little reminiscent of what we were talking about with Tennessee the last couple of weeks, just eventually you're going to get snake bit by those slow starts, that sloppy play, and eventually it'll come across an opponent who'll make you pay. Right, and can I just say one other thing? I thought that was ridiculous that those fans rushed the field and they beat a conference unranked opponent. Oh. But, they, I mean, they rushed the field. <laughs> they did still, it when they beat the, I know. the not. They, well, who was it, Furman? Yeah, apparently that's beat, their big that's tradition. Their, that's their big tradition. Well, it might be time to get a new one. Yeah, I, I, little, think I tend to agree. I think it's a little bit of a ridiculous <laughs> tradition, but... Like, I'm in. I'm in no position to say what you know. Right. Different schools have different traditions, and if you want to do that, that's fine. But you better back it up and win every game, then. Yeah. And and right now they have, but I do agree with you that it just you takes know. away from beating a top team. Or oh, and I, your, I agree. Uh, but, but okay. Oh, also wait, you're forgetting that they do have another big time opponent coming down the pipeline. Like oh, oh my, 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 my mistake. My we'll, mistake. We'll get to them. But switching uh, conferences now, maybe the most competitive uh, game that we saw this weekend, Ohio State-Wisconsin. Buckeyes win on the road in overtime. I only suffered a couple heart attacks in the second half. (laughs) I can imagine. Um, But the Buckeyes do come out victorious. They win that game. And looking at it on on the surface, Ron, this is a Buckeye team that hadn't really faced much true adversity this year, was in a dogfight early and often, 
but found a way late in the game to make enough plays to get by a very scrappy team. How did you assess their victorious performance? I mean, I thought in their first real test, uh, they passed, not necessarily flying colors, it's, it, uh, but I think they passed. And it is a very tough place to play in Camp Randall on you know national TV at night with the whole world watching. It's not an easy, uh, easy thing to do for them, and, and they did get it done. Um, I thought Barrett was okay. I didn't think he was great. Right. Uh, I thought overall, honestly, I was probably more impressed with Wisconsin than I was with Ohio State because I did not see this being a game, and Wisconsin brought their A game. I think Wisconsin, they legitimately can compete for a Rose Bowl. I mean, I was, I was prepared for a game, even as an Ohio State fan, given what Wisconsin had done at Michigan only losing by seven, close game, being an LSU team early on. They've been playing a tough schedule, and they've done a good job to get where they are. They rode that defense early. It was, you know, a cold night up at Camp Camp Randall. Uh, The interception that Barrett threw to start the second half was probably the most worrisome moment of the game when the rain picked up at that exact moment. He was throwing that pass. Right, that was very weird. It only rained for like five minutes. Right, that (laughs) was only then. And, no, I think as the game went on, Ohio State started to put together drives. Wisconsin's one flaw this year has been their passing attack. Mm-hmm. When Ohio State finally adjusted to stop the run, Wisconsin couldn't move the ball. They Even with the lead, they were only taking two, three minutes off the clock. And I think that, at the end of the day, with Ohio State's ability to, to switch up their offense when plan A didn't work, get the ball in Barrett's hands, use Samuel yeah. and Weber running back, I think that made the difference. Yeah, Wisconsin could ride, only ride Corey Clement so much. I mean, obviously, dude had that a great, great game. game. Yeah. Still, like you said, not much of a passing attack developed. Uh, Hornerbrook only threw it 28 times, but we'll see from them. They still outside looking in right now in their division, obviously looking up at Nebraska, but if they string together some wins here at the end, I feel like they're right now better than Nebraska, so we'll see once that game rolls around. You can't can't take anything for granted, but they're definitely battle-tested, and that counts for something. You would like to see Wisconsin. They lose it in overtime 30-23. The red zone offense is what bit them. And they had a lot of chances early in that game where they left points on the board for field goals. Credit to the Ohio State D, but Wisconsin needs to clean up a little bit on offense as we segue right into now the rankings. Talking college football, Ron Schultz and Matt Wittenberg on the Money Mitch Effect. Now the rankings. Bama 1, Ohio State 2 in the AP poll. Coach's poll has Clemson 3, Michigan 4 flipped in the AP with Washington, the Universal 5. Texas A&M, Louisville, Baylor, Nebraska, and Wisconsin still in the top ten, rounding it out. Now, looking at that, it's a pretty fair list. A&M at number six, and they have the big game this week coming up against Bama, but A&M at six. Ron, this is a team that I've liked what I've seen, but we will learn a lot about them second half of the season, starting with Bama and then some of the harder games in their SEC schedule. Right. Uh, I mean, I learned a lot about them watching that game against Tennessee. Uh, I think they showed a lot of promise in that game. Uh, I think, you know, offensively and defensively, they're pretty sound. But, I mean, nobody is sound until you beat or you play Alabama. I mean, you they're the real barometer in the SEC and, honestly, in the country. If you can play with or beat Alabama, that's when you're a true contender and, you know, Texas A&M can be top, you know, six, top five all they want, but until they can hang with Alabama, uh, it, it doesn't really matter. In the well, SEC, I, I kind of think that's 
that's kind of the way it goes. And, if yeah. you can't hang with them, then what's, you know. Well, Alabama's open. kind of open. They've opened up enough, enough of a difference between them and the rest of the field that if A&M loses by 10 points, they'll probably still be in the top 10. Oh, I, I think imagine. so, too. One I absolutely think so. With a 10-point loss. You've seen how voting has reflected that in recent weeks. Funny to me, West Virginia, still undefeated, can't crack the top 10, the lowest-ranked power conference due to their strength of schedule. But then when I look at Louisville and, and Houston, 7-11 and 11 respectively, still just hanging around. They will play each other at the end of the year. Not completely out of the picture just yet. It's funny mm-hmm. how the rankings have always looked, and here they are just still staying there. Yeah, I feel like Houston, regardless of the result of that game, probably still on the outside looking in for the playoff because of that Navy loss. But yeah, Louisville, as it's as I learned that it's pronounced, not Louisville, still with that <laughs> outside. Yeah, learn something every day. <laughs> exactly, still with that outside chance to uh, win the ACC. But obviously, they're going to need Clemson to stumble twice. But if they keep taking care of business, then that's all that they can control. Obviously, they can't drop that Houston game because that's going to reflect poorly on their strength of schedule. But I, like I said, I don't think that win does Houston any favors, except maybe gets Tom Herman a few extra zeros from the University of Texas. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or his own uh, private plane at Houston or whatever. They yeah, there do. you go. Hey, um, either way. I look at Nebraska and Baylor undefeated at 8-9, and nine, depending on the poll of their flip-flop. Nebraska has a chance to be last year's Iowa, where if they get a go undefeated in a weaker division in the Big Ten and somehow win the Big Ten championship game in an upset, they'll be right there in the playoff. Baylor, though, Ron, I don't know that they have that chance, even if they do go undefeated, given how poor the Big 12 is this year. No, I really don't think so either. Uh, I mean, Baylor, it really comes down to the Big 12 needs to get their act together. They need to get two more teams, and they need to have a Big 12 championship game. Apparently not going to happen. Yeah, and apparently it's not. And it seemed like, you know, Cincy was all ready to come, and here we go. Houston and Cincy was, I think those two together would have been a perfect two perfect additions to a conference and to solidify that conference as as a legitimate power five conference. You know, we always say the power five, but the Big Twelve right now, I mean, really not showing that it deserves to be in that power five. It's really the power four right now. I can't it, argue with yeah, that. It's hard to. And I think Baylor they have a chance if they get some help. It looks like it's a, a slam dunk right now in the Heisman race, even with a lackluster for his standards performance and a ten point win over Duke. Louisville's Lamar Jackson is still head and shoulders above the field. He's the only player with negative odds right now to win the Heisman at 190. Deshaun Watson plus 375 in second. JT Barrett in the top three for the first time all year at plus 750. Prepper or Peppers, excuse me, Jabril Peppers of Michigan is fourth. Wow, at plus 900. Jake Browning fifth, plus 1,000. Washington. What about that list with? Uh, jumps out at you looking at those five candidates now? Uh, I'm kind of going to lean towards my uh, Pac-12 bias on this one. And <laughs> there we go. Talk, talk about a guy who, frankly, is barely starting to get that national recognition that you just named off in Jake Browning. He's already had the big marquee win against Stanford. Uh, obviously, Stanford may not be the team that we thought they were based on their loss to Washington State the week after that, but the guy still put up incredible numbers. He's by far and away, has the best passing numbers right now. 23 touchdowns with two interceptions, second-highest QBR, uh, only behind uh, Lamar Jackson, obviously. And (laughs) still going to have some more opportunities to get it done. If that team runs the table, he looks good doing it. 
then I feel like he's going to be right there in the conversation. It's tough to overcome Jackson because he does it on the ground as well. And that's going to be, I feel like, what ultimately separates the two. But I I think as long as Browning keeps winning and putting up the impressive numbers, he'll be in New York at least. It's nice to see... Peppers in there in the top five. He's definitely That's one of the top five players. player actually look, you know, be yeah. on that list. And look the part. And Browning will have his chances as the year goes. What jumps out to me about this list is how much, and not to sound disrespectful, but the voters do love Deshaun Watson because it hasn't been the best year. I think if you compared it this to last year, you'll not see. Like I think last worse. year was much better. He still has some of the plays where you go, wow, this kid right. will be playing on Sundays and will be playing very well on Sundays just hasn't necessarily shown up, you know, for a full game. He's shown up when he needs to. The game is on the line. They are still undefeated because, he he's, he, yeah. you know, he can make plays. He's thrown the right passes. He's He hasn't turned the ball over when the game's on the line. Uh, but I do agree with you that he definitely was a much better player last year and is getting that, I think, that bias of we know he can be that good. And I think... For him to have a chance to overcome Lamar Jackson, it's going to have to come down to Lamar to, right. to and losing. The, I think Clemson might be the biggest Houston fans in the world in that game because <laughs> if you know that makes Deshaun if if Clemson wins out and Louisville loses to Houston, I think that's more or less the only chance that Deshaun Watson has yeah, to overcome no, Lamar that, Jackson. That's fair. The only counter to that would be. And I don't. I saw this comparison the other day, and I thought it's a little too early for it, but it's intriguing. A lot of people are looking at Clemson as Florida State post national championship, that fourteen Florida State team, where we're not quite sure how good they are even with returning mm-hmm. people. I think they would, other than the Heisman chances, which are probably dead and buried if Lamar Jackson slays Houston. But a Louisville thumping of Houston makes that win look even better, improves their standing in the playoff committee. It's true. And I think and, that and the seeding-wise yeah, could be Yeah, in terms good. of the playoff, in terms of the national championship. I mean, you don't want that four seed. You don't want Bama first round. Absolutely not. <laughs> so. No, they want, they want the two or the three. Uh, and, and I think right now they have either the two or the three. And if they win out, they have the two or the three. And one final note on the Heisman whip before we move on. Is there any way Lamar Jackson doesn't win this award, barring an injury? I know injury is always the, the one thing we don't want to see. But any other way that he doesn't win this award? I think Ron alluded to it a little bit. If Louisville ends up in stumbling that game to Houston, it, you would figure if Houston ends up winning that game, it would because, be because Lamar Jackson has a subpar performance, maybe turns the ball over a few times. That would be, other than that, that's the only way I see it happening. And if uh, Clemson goes undefeated and makes the playoff, obviously the Heisman Committee really likes awarding those undefeated teams. So I figure that... It's, yeah. it's slim, but Watson may be the only one. I think to catch it, it would take two bad games. I think he'd get some leeway given what he's done on one bad game. I think we're going to have to see multiple, and I don't know that that's ever going to happen. All right, moving on, the Money Mitch Effect, Ron Schultz and uh, Matt Wittenberg. We're going to talk about disasters now because that's another good thing uh, that's happening in the college football se- season. Notre Dame's at 2-5, and five, Michigan State's at 2-4. and four. One what of their to wins you? Yeah, Notre exactly. Dame. Michigan State beat Notre Dame. So, Ron, what to you is the worst season so far between those two teams? I mean, I think uh, overall Notre Dame always gets a Notre Dame bump of like people <laughs> assume that Notre Dame will be good. Yeah. Based on the fact that they have that ND NBC logo. contract. Uh, yeah, it's just <laughs> oh, you know, they're, they're Notre Dame. They're going to be good. 
I think the expectations were a bit unrealistic for this Notre Dame team coming into the season. So I don't think I think I think they're worse than what I expected them to be. But I don't think I never thought that they would be a national contender this year. I legitimately thought that Michigan State could at least compete in the Big Ten, and right now they're simply not. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. Put it. They're they're not showing up when they need to. I think losing Connor Cook. Uh, if we ever thought, you know, all those national writers said that Connor Cook wasn't the captain, uh, I mean, yeah. really saying now because it, Michigan State is not the same team we saw last year in the the playoffs. So I, I think the answer to this question is Notre Dame, given the returning talent that we were, I mean, we were expecting to see. Michigan State's a little younger of a team, mm-hmm. and over the last couple of years, that dominant secondary that they've built up has all gone to the NFL. They don't have the well there on the back end of, of big time defensive players, but I do want to I do want to pose one question here about Notre Dame. Brian Kelly, is it possible he's just not that good of a coach? I mean, I think so. Looking at his coach record, I'm going to run by some numbers for you guys. So he's had the one year where they went 12 and 0 undefeated and got to the title game, getting thumped by Alabama. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's lost at least three games every year at Notre Dame, and he's lost five games at Notre Dame four times now. He's counting this year. Uh, at Cincinnati, he had the year where he was 12 and 0, but he had two years where he was 10 and 3 in a weaker conference. And at Central Michigan, he lost in his three seasons at least four games every year. I don't. I'm just. I'm just throwing it out there. I think he's not a bad coach, but I think he's slightly overrated. That's exactly what I was going to say. He's <laughs> definitely not a bad coach by any stretch. Is he Notre Dame quality or sort of the quality they want their coach to be? Probably not. But I mean. I think just based on Notre Dame expectations, there are maybe like three or four guys who would actually fit the bill or the profile that they're looking for, and <laughs> yeah, none of Jesus. them are going <laughs> to... <laughs> yeah. Outside of him, yeah, I don't think any of the others would look at Meyer, Harbaugh, Saban, and maybe Herman, but none, none of those guys are going to take that job. My sleeper for the Notre Dame pool if Kelly gets fired is Les Miles, because I just want to see that. Oh, wow. That would be ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that. Uh, no, I don't, I don't know how that. I would feel about that. Uh, but, Ron, the one thing I'll add to this about Notre Dame, you talk about the, the Notre Dame bump, which I do agree is real. Every one of these seasons that he's had Notre Dame, even last year's 10-3, and three, it's almost as if they've lost handily to the teams that are better than them. They finally run into that team better, and that team that went undefeated in 2012 and lost to Bama – They've got, and I remember that season, they got a ton of breaks, won a ton of close mm-hmm. games. It was almost too good to be true as if they overachieved. So maybe it's the recruiting side that he struggles on. No, and I think that's absolutely uh, you know, a thing. And I, I think that Notre Dame bump can extend to the coach, too. I think people assume that the coach at Notre Dame is a great coach before He's, you yeah. see the fact, you, before you get a chance to see whether or not he is a good coach. Uh, I don't... I. Don't get me wrong, I think Brian Kelly is a very decent coach. I think he knows how to coach those players. But I think I think you're absolutely right. I think he's not necessarily a great recruiter, and it, it comes down to that. And I think we're seeing that now as, he, as he's been there for longer, it's like, oh, that's who I'd have to play for? Because those mm-hmm. players have now seen Him what Brian Kelly... Exactly. The <laughs> and they've seen what his coaching style yeah, is maybe like. Maybe just choke a few assistant coaches. Exactly. Or, yeah. and, and just seen what Notre Dame looks like under him other than that kind of fluky 12-0 season. I, I think high school players aren't as you know hyped to go to Notre Dame yeah. as, as, as in years past. One last point. I, these aren't schedule losses. 
These have not been good losses. No. Uh, the ones that Notre Dame has suffered. Uh, Texas, Duke in there, NC State. NC I mean, State. And Stanford isn't the Stanford that they've been. Lastly, before we wrap this up, let's look at the schedules for each of these teams. Are they going to be bowl ineligible? Are we getting to that point? Notre Dame might be, but we'll start with Michigan State at 2-4. and four. They go at Maryland, who's 4-2. and two. I think they can definitely win that game, though. I don't I think, think they Maryland's can win that, that good. Uh, Michigan loss. Mm-hmm. Illinois, mm-hmm. a win, I would say. Rutgers should be a clear win. If they do that, Rutgers is terrible. the Rutgers is awful. Okay, so they're 5-5. <laughs> five and five. We can all agree on yeah. that. Rutgers <laughs> Regardless is unanimous. of religion or, part, or political party, let's yeah. just all come together as a nation. That Rutgers, <laughs> Rutgers is terrible. Is terrible. <laughs> so they're 5-5 five and five at that point. Ohio State, probably a, a good loss there. And then Penn State. They got to win. Mm-hmm. They, they got to win all win the games it. they should. Exactly. They got to win all the games they should, or they got to win one of the games they're not <laughs> supposed to, which isn't going to happen because they're not going to beat Ohio State or Michigan. That Penn and State game is going to be tough, though. It's on the road. It's, it's, the final it's game. a rivalry in, game. In Penn State. I'm going to say they'll know, do man. it. I think D'Antonio is a good coach. He's a great coach. I think he can grind it out and get that team to 6-6. Six and six. They're going to get hyped up for Michigan, too. Obviously, I don't think that they're going to beat them, but... Hey, saw more improbable things last year. Exactly. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, it's still, the, still to this day, it's ridiculous. college football. And I missed the end of that game because I took a shower because I thought the game was over. <laughs> like, why wouldn't you just <laughs> right. start, literally just kneeing the clock out? Like, and so. Oh, wait. That's not what Yeah. Um, all right. So then you got to look at Notre Dame. I don't think they're going to a ball. Miami, Florida, Navy. Army is the only sure win. Virginia Tech, USC. Wow. Even Army's had a they decent season. They could be 3-9. and nine. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they might win one of those games. I think they could rally and beat Miami next week because I don't. I'm still harping the Miami is not that good. Navy, it's possible though. It is possible that they could be six and six. Yeah, USC's been coming on the last yeah. few weeks. They they look like a different. I put team. the odds at about twenty five percent, thirty percent, a one in four chance to that they. Could. Yeah, I think it's definitely less than fifty percent that either of these teams makes a bowl game. In my opinion, I don't think either of them make a bowl game. Well, that's going to be it for a disaster game. segment. Yeah. <laughs> just, no, it's just bad. Sorry to all you Spartans and uh, Fighting Irish fans yeah, out sorry there. Sorry about that. We had to, we had to <laughs> just clear the air. As we move on here on the Money Mitch Effect, all right, now I'm going to give you guys the chance to talk about your schools for a little bit. Oh, man. And i got to let Ron go first. Sorry, oh, wait, I have to let him go first. It's the first time <laughs> Dino Babers gets this vaunted win over a ranked team. They it's beat Virginia Tech. Longer than Dino Babers. <laughs> Scott Schaefer didn't have one either, so... It's been since 2012 when I was in school uh, that we beat number nine ranked Louisville uh, in the Dome. And, I mean, it just, it's good for the Syracuse football program because if you're a college football fan, you know the history that Syracuse football has. And and I think bad coaching hires and a bad chancellor, and obviously this is me talking from someone that went there, uh, our, our chancellor that we had there just didn't care about sports or football. The basketball program was always going to be good because you have one of the, if not the, you know, one of the best coaches of all time. Uh, but the football program really did suffer once they hired Greg Robinson and, and just some bad coaching hires in there. I think Dino Babers, while we do have bad losses this year, loss to Wake Forest is almost unexcusable. Uh, again, that was again in the hurricane. So who knew, you know, what was going on in that game? But this, I think, was great for the program to sh- and great for Dino because not just the win, but then the social media reaction to his post-game press conference. And, and you can't undermine what media does for recruiting. I think getting people to see that Syracuse has a football program, has beaten now a ranked team in recent years, 
I think is huge for the school. I'm not saying we're running away and going to a bowl game this year. We could could get to a bowl game. I think there's a possibility. Uh, But you got two, you know, tough games, obviously, with Clemson and Florida State still on the schedule. You know, whether or not they go to a bowl game, I don't think is is relevant at all because Dino has some pretty good recruits coming in next year. And I think as they continue to come in, those ranked wins will continue to come because – Syracuse moving to ACC was the best thing that happened to that football program because they now have the chance to play against these schools. When they were in the Big East, you know, who were they yeah. playing? You know, yeah, you might you might win seven or eight games. games. <laughs> Ryan Nassib looked great, and it's like, you know. And he gets drafted. <laughs> exactly. He gets drafted to the Giants and just ask those fans how he is. I think now moving to the ACC, we get to play Louisville. We get to play Virginia Tech. We get to play Miami, Florida State, Clemson every year. And I think that's – you know, while it sucks to play those every year and lose every year, eventually you start to, to learn learn about those programs and maybe pull off a win or two. Right, and I'd like to see, you know, it was great to see Syracuse come out, get the win, all the uh, excitement around the program. And now we'll see how they build upon a big win, how so, they man. go forward. And if gotta, that defense can, it, it, that was a remarkable job by the defense, how Absolutely. bad they looked to just string it together and... Uh, yeah, they Scotch stepped up. Tape it up for a win. No, it was it was a lot, of, a lot of that dome magic was flowing yeah. on Saturday. Now, with your Arizona State Sun Devils, sorry, we <laughs> we didn't schedule you on here just to talk about a twenty-four point loss, but the loss to Colorado not very good, forty to sixteen. Still though, a good record. Some tough games coming up, starting with Washington State this week. What's the state of the Sun Devil football program? Oh man, yeah, the one this last week was tough to watch. Uh, yeah, five and two, still ahead of schedule I, where I, I thought we would be. I gotta just stop yeah, having you on here when after terrible losses, right? You didn't. <laughs> yeah, you always, of the two losses, this right? Year. That's true. SC right and then it. Colorado, yeah, with the UCLA win sandwiched in the middle. Uh, yeah, five and two, still probably ahead of where I would have predicted we'd be at this point in the season before. Uh, obviously, dealing with quarterback injuries, first string and second string guy both banged up. Not sure if. Uh, Manny Wilkins is going to go this week against Washington State. Obviously not having him would be huge. And he wasn't at 100% against Colorado, so that definitely contributed. But, I mean, the Buffs are they're looking really good so far, so I'm not going to take anything away from them. They played Michigan tough on the road and have a good, solid chance to win the South. Obviously they've got a game against Utah at the end of the year. So, I mean, we need one to get to a bowl game. I think it'll happen. Maybe not against Washington State. Oregon's looking down, so that could be it. But you guys could beat Oregon or Arizona. Is, exactly. As long as we beat Arizona and go isn't to a bowl the, game. Isn't that the Pac-12, though? They could win a lot of those games or lose a lot of those games. Incredibly un- unpredictable this year. You have a bunch of young players playing on both sides of the ball. So I feel like at home this week, it's homecoming this week. We're breaking up the Sparky Helmets, even though we're owing to... <laughs> I like them, even though we're 0-2 in them and the last two times we played with the Sparky Helmets. But I'm still, overall, feel good about this season so far. Obviously would have loved to have gotten those two wins, but ahead of schedule and uh, just hoping for that bowl win and that victory over U of A at the end of the year. Yeah, how much would you like if that, that win were the one to send you to a bowl game? Uh, well, I obviously would rather <laughs> well, obviously win more than six games. Win more than six, more than six yeah. games, but I'm sure it would be great for, uh, for Arizona State Nation to go to a bowl game because of a win over U of A. True, true. The rivalry will get you every time, and if it's for a bowl game, you know, God help us. <laughs> Those that are around your presence, that is. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, Money Mitch Effect, college football round, round table, and now it's time round to table. go. Round table, <laughs> round, round mm. table. 
Now it's time to go to next week's games, week eight. Some good ones on the slate. Let's jump right into it. The first game that's got my attention, the early game I'm going to be looking at, Louisville-NC State. NC State played Clemson tough. Now they get to go against Louisville. Louisville looking like a 19.5-point favorite right now. A lot of points at home. Do you see them covering here? Yeah. I think NC State covers. Okay. I think Louisville wins. But I think... That defense isn't bad, and they can no. make it a difficult day for Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I don't think they're going to walk in there and just, you know, roll... NC State's not going to roll over. They're not afraid of anybody. Yeah. Uh, I think they, they, they've shown up against their big opponents. Just played Clemson tough on the road, forcing those red zone turnovers. Absolutely. So no reason to think that they... And Duke, can't have a good effort. Duke gave Louisville a game, you know, Absolutely. ten points. I don't, I don't think that it's out of the question there. Um, Ohio State, Penn State, any upset potential here, or does Ohio State handle Penn State on the road? I can only hope so, but <laughs> I, I think that they win fairly easy. I, I could see it being close until half, just because it is a night game in Beaver Stadium. Those are always tough. They're probably going to have the whiteout going, but. Sure. But Ohio State's just a way more talented team than Penn State is at the moment. Frankly, I don't think that James Franklin is that good of a coach. And I feel like this could be JT Barrett's uh, statement game after he didn't have his best showing against Wisconsin. I feel like he's going to want to put up some big numbers against uh, the Nittany Lions. Yeah, and again, on national TV. So I think this would be a good chance for him to really show up and show what he can do since he did not look great against Wisconsin this week. Right. I think the only drama in this game is going to be who takes out the Penn State kicker this week. <laughs> I don't know. Cody Julie is <laughs> a legend. Like, Weekly thing now. <laughs> we talked about that two you weeks ago. That guy, and he's been right? getting beat up ever since. No, I mean, I don't have a problem with you him, got, but you, you knew it was going to happen. It was only oh, yeah, you knew it was going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but but you got to love the guy. I mean, who doesn't love a fat kicker? Uh, with, yeah. with a 90s number. I mean, that's absurd. Going so, on Good Morning America and everything. Yeah, and, and congratulations good. to him to come out right. and Great know, share, share his you know internal problems and stuff like that. But, I mean, so, good, good for him. So our weekly line of will they cover or not, Michigan, Illinois, 38 and a half point favorites Easy. at home. They, I, th- I think they blow Michigan that away. covers. I agree. They're dominant against bad teams. This it's funny about the line in this game. It started at 28, and it's gained 10.5 points since it opened on Monday. Oh, man. So. I wish I could have jumped on it when it was 28. Everybody just ran right. to the bank right away. Another upset potential game that we should talk about, Navy, ranked Navy, Memphis. At Navy, but Memphis is a 2.5-point favorite. Yeah. Fun coin, coin flip game. I'm leaning Navy here at home, but Memphis has the, uh, the tools to beat them for sure. Fun story about Memphis, their current coach, Mike Norvell, was Arizona State's offensive coordinator the last, uh, ever since Todd Graham had been there the last five, five years. So good, good on Mike. I, I was sad to see him go, and, but glad that his Memphis Tigers are going. Triple options, tough to defend when it's working, though, so I would lean towards Navy. Yeah, I think, I think Navy definitely can win this game, and I think it's good uh, for college football to have uh, Navy. and I mean, I'd love to see Army and Air Force get up there just to have the service uh, schools yeah. be be good at football again. Uh, it's been a while, uh, yep. and, yeah. and and I think it's a little bit of patriotism. I think uh, just because I I do like to be patriotic a lot, and I, I do like to root for the service. Uh, and maybe has got a, sure. got a heck of a program that they've been building consistently in that eight nine win range. Right, and it's not necessarily Army, the easiest uh, place to recruit oh, either. Not, not at all. <laughs> it's yeah, I mean, the promises secret. of going there, you you know, you have to make. You know, bigger sacrifices than any other school. Just the practice at five thirty in the morning, or, exactly. You know, to squeeze in, West Virginia TCU guys, West Virginia undefeated. It's in Morgantown. They're six point favorites. 
Is this the game, though? Does Kenny Hill come in there and end their undefeated season? I don't think so. No? No, I think West I, Virginia I think, cover, could, I think West Virginia wins by a touchdown. I, which see, would I, be covering I, by yeah, a point. Yeah, but, but I think they can win by a I like TCU in this one because I just am not sold on, on the Mountaineers. I uh, agree. I agree. TCU still that sort of like benchmark uh, other than Oklahoma, the most consistent program in the Big 12 the last couple of years. Gary Patterson can coach him up. It's, it's on the road. Morgantown's not the easiest place to play, but I still think, yeah, I'm leaning towards Kenny Hill in this one. I'm leaning TCU here, and i got to get your opinion, Wit, on the Pac-12 game, Utah-UCLA. Utah going into UCLA ranked at 6-1. and one. The Bruins are struggling mightily, but here they are in our does not make sense line of the week as seven point favorites over Utah. Yeah, that's that, those are the lines that send sirens off, and yeah, that's a that's a little alarming for sure. Josh Rosen has been banged up. Utah probably the toughest defense other than Washington in the Pac-12. Defense carries on the road. It, a lot of this just depends on how Rosen is. I would would have gone Utah, <laughs> but that line's just it, staring me in the face. So uh, I'll yeah. take the Bruins. Out. I'm leaning Bruins as well. The last time Utah came into Los Angeles as big underdogs while being higher ranked was against USC when they were Last number three year. in the country and they got destroyed. Yeah, I'll take UCLA as well. I, I just I, I, I don't think that Utah comes in here and beats them in the Rose Bowl. We're all sleeping on uh, Utah, but the gambling public as well sleeping mightily on them. <laughs> Probably for obvious reasons. Big game, though, in the SEC. Not the game of the week, but the runner-up game of the week. Arkansas-Auburn, number 17 versus number 21. Auburn, guys, a 10-point favorite against Which Arkansas. That's, ridiculous. That's high. That's way too that, that being said, I like Auburn to win this game, but by, like, three. <laughs> I think because Auburn's a tough place to play, in my opinion. I think Auburn wins, but I think they win maybe by a field goal. The offense isn't... See, this is what scares me, if I were as someone picking Auburn, is that their offense isn't really clicking on all cylinders. Their defense has gotten a lot better. Arkansas has shown that they can move the ball, but I do like Auburn in this game. Austin Allen looked really good against Ole Miss, so, I mean, they've been able to put up points. They put up points against A&M a couple weeks ago in Jerry World. I'm, I'm going to lean uh, Wu Pig Suey on this one. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Like All right. Brett Bielma, you and him sharing some spare ribs after the game. <laughs> Yikes. You better get to the table yeah. early. Now, now that's a guy I want to share right. some ribs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ole Miss, LSU, one last game before we get to our game, game of the week. Ole Miss, LSU, number 23 versus number 25 in Baton Rouge. Well, full-time, permanent. Coach L. Coach L. Full-time, temporary. And, <laughs> and his LSU Tigers, six-and-a-half-point favorites at home. I just I don't think Ole Miss is that good. I think that LSU probably gets it done. But is, L- is LSU that good? That's, See, that's, that's where it comes down that's to. That's a very me. good good point. I feel like the coaching change inspired them a bit. They've kind of got their quarterback issues worked out. Death Valley, it's hard hard to pick against the Tigers there. Playing for Mike the Tiger, rest in peace. So. R.I.P. I'm going to lean Ole Miss here for one reason, and that's I think we're kind so of full. Well, no. <laughs> no, that's no, yeah, just a sad. Yeah, that boy needs to just he stay off Twitter for a while. But no, I think I think yeah, a lot of stuff. I think uh, <laughs> that's another door right there. I think LSU's fool's gold because they've had some impressive wins since the coaching change. But Missouri, you know, Southern Miss, I, I don't, I don't see anything that they've done yet worthy enough to be like they're back and they're ready to go. Uh, Ole Miss, it's been some disappointing losses, but at the very least, two good teams, and they've. But in a lot of these games, just underachieved at the finish line. I think Kelly can get it done in this one. 
And now we got to go to the game of the week, Alabama and Texas A&M. And you would think that a game between the number one and the number six team would be more uh, you know, tightly contested on the betting side. Alabama's 19-point favorites right now. I was going to say, this has got to be a record <laughs> for game of the week spread. 19? Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think it's kind of fair, to be honest. Well, it is. It's absolutely I think they win by three touchdowns. And here's one thing that I'll say about that line. I, I was stunned early when I saw it because the initial reaction is one versus six, 19 points. Wow. Even though it is in Alabama. But then I heard the, the uh, I think it was a Vegas insider on the radio today say, they're going to be number one. They're going to be seven point favorites on any neutral field against anyone. Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson. Bama will be a touchdown favorite given how they've played. So when you start Bama to look at it like a, that. Bama might be a seven point favorite at away at some of those schools too. That said, guys, what can Texas A&M possibly do to win this game? What what do they have can't, to try to do? Ball over. Yeah, that's, Absolutely yeah. can't turn the ball over. And, I mean, you gotta, you you got to convert third downs. you got to convert the plays. That you got to stay keep your defense off the field because if exactly. your defense is on the field, that means that Alabama is just going to be. I mean, they can they can play fast, they can play slow, they're they can play at any speed they want. And I think in this game, Alabama is going to be looking to score early and then just bleed the clock out and get away. Right, and, here's and, the, and just end the game. And here's the thing: I like that AM offense. They can score points early. We saw them do it against mm-hmm. Tennessee, for mm-hmm. example, and Arkansas. Very balanced, too. They need that. They need to get up early. They need to go for it. And when they get that lead, if they do, you need to have drives and take time off that clock, like you said, and not get the defense back out there. I want to see a heavy dose of Trayvon Williams. I want to see Trevor Knight run the ball. They can't have these two-minute drives where here comes Bama's offense again. It just will not work. Not at all. This is probably Kevin Sumlin's most uh, balanced offense, though, ever since he's taken the job. Tra- like you I said, agree. Travion Williams, is, he got it done against Tennessee big time, and obviously we know Trevor Knight can get it done with his legs. They've got the wide receivers that can put up points, but in the end, it's just about, yeah, shortening the game, mm-hmm. keeping yeah. Jalen Hurts on the sideline. Are they going to be able to do it? Maybe for a half, but it's that's a lot to ask, especially on the road. If this game was in College Station, I might lean more towards A&M, but in Tuscaloosa, Brian Denny, Vernon Gary on the call, I mean, it's, it's always hard to go against Bama in those games. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Trevor Knight was the Oklahoma quarterback when they beat Alabama? He was. So he Indeed, doesn't win yeah. I'm going to say Bama wins, but they don't cover. I'll say 17-point victory. I, th- I think we're going to get in that situation where Lane Kiffin's going to be calling pass plays because he might have... <laughs> had a vested interest on the tie, down up 17. But Never I think A&M's right? not – I don't think they're a fraud undefeated team. I think, no, I don't think so either. I think that. Bama's better. It's at home. I, I see this being about 34-17. No, and I think, like you said earlier, is that even if they lose, I don't think they drop out of the top 10. I think this, this – it's not embarrassing to lose to Alabama because until someone proves that they can beat Alabama, everyone will. All likelihood, the two best teams in the SEC. I mean, I can't make an for argument sure. for any other team to be second place other than AM at this point. The other thing that scares me, too, is that Bama needs this game. They know they need this game. These are the two undefeated teams in their side in the SEC West. If they lose, it might be impossible to catch up. This mm-hmm. isn't a, a throwaway game. So. Right. If they lose this game, they could possibly not make the SEC championship game, and, and because of that, not make it in the playoff. Make a playoff. Yeah. I mean, if they don't win the SEC championship, then. 
I don't think anybody's going to complain if they don't make the, the, the playoffs. So I mean, we actually a lot of people down in Tuscaloosa are going to complain, but we'll be having a party if they don't make the playoffs. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you guys are all invited. Yeah, it's going to be great. All right, that's going to be. Actually, for... won't know who wins the championship. It's going to be great. Ding dong, which is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, thanks, guys, Ron and Matt. Appreciate you guys coming on the show talking college football. All right, thank you, Mitch. Yes, sir. Don't sleep on the orange, huh? Always a pleasure to talk to Ron and Matt about college football. Those guys know their stuff, and they will be always welcome on this show. All right, now it's time to talk tennis and some other sports with Joe Spinozian. A quick word on that to keep in mind. We did this on a Wednesday. At the time, the Indians had not clinched. They were in the process of clinching the World Series ticket, so that was not official yet. The Dodgers were up 2-1 on the Cubs. It's now 3-2 Cubs, and... Rafael Nadal did not announce at that time that he'd been pulling out of the ATP World Tour Finals with a wrist injury. So, some updates on that. It didn't affect our dialogue too much. We talked about tennis, Nick Kyrgios, women's tour, uh, NBA preseason basketball, and uh, of course, fantasy football. Here's George Benozian now on the Money Mitch Effect. It's a good one. All right. Friday rolling with George Pinozian. Happy Friday! That's actually Wednesday, but we're, well, they're going to hear this on Friday. Tell them about me. They're going to hear this on That's Friday. completely irrelevant. Come on. George Pinozian's back on the Money Mitch effect, and uh, that was our, our poor attempt at humor to lighten up the mood. Hopefully, you're <laughs> <laughs> getting through the week. Sorry for what I you just heard. I thought it was heard. pretty strong. strong it was a good uh, attempt. It was a poor, poor execution. Poor is not the right word. Um, yeah, we'll get to get to that later. Um, <laughs> I, had to, I had to sneak one of those in there. All right, so a lot to talk about. Want to get to tennis and uh, some other things in the sports world. I do have one one quick antidote, George. I need to, I need your advice on something, uh, gym etiquette related. So I was at the gym last night, and I'm at one of the machines. Can't even remember which one. And there's a pair of keys right down next to me that were set by somebody. Okay. And then a nice looking girl is like, "Hey, is anyone using this?" Okay. And I totally just sold out the person that set their keys down. Okay. And said, no, I have no idea. And that person had just left, went to get water or something And like came that. back right at that moment and said, no, those are mine, and caused this whole big uh, incident that I felt was pretty much my fault. Well, what do you mean incident? Like, they were actually... Like, no, that's mine. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. You know, awkward, stink eye type situation. <laughs> you know, I just... Um, you try to be nice, right? I don't and know, I'd man. like to think that I would have You're done that regardless of whether or not the girl was good looking, but... Uh, I, I doubt know. it. I yeah, you're, that. you're probably right. Um, but hey, you know, shooters are going to shoot. That's my, that's my <laughs> motto. So. Nice one, Mitch. Uh, yeah, well, we'll get to tennis, but I want to talk about baseball because you're an L.A. guy. I'm a Cleveland guy. And we could be the World Series matchup. Dodgers Indians. And yeah, I know you. A lot of heat in this room right now. Man. A it's lot hot. of heat. They, they really do need to turn the heat down. But the Dodgers, George, are really shocking. I know you got into the push late playoff baseball, got to go to a game, see them starve off elimination. They beat the Nationals. They play the Cubs, the best team in baseball all year long, and now we're taping this on a Wednesday. At this time of this show, they're up two games to one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely surprising. Obviously, you guys know that I'm not a I'm not really a baseball fan, but uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate the sport, though, and come playoff time, it's definitely a great atmosphere. It kind of reminds me of, like, a European soccer uh atmosphere. And the crowd was pretty Yeah, rowdy. the crowd gets crazy, and that's what I like about it. But imagine in Europe, that's how it is for every game. There needs to be a playoff game. But 
you know me, any any team that's representing LA, and if they're in a big league or big tournament like like that, like I'll, I'm gonna cheer right. for them. Any team. In LA. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I mean, I, I, I live in LA. That's my city. Yeah. My city, my city. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, I'll talk about yeah. Before it gets too gritty, I'll talk about the <laughs> yes. Indians right now, who are playing at the moment up three nothing on Toronto. So there's a very, very good chance Congrats. that they'll be, you know, clinching the World Series. Have clinched it by the time this airs. Very exciting times, mm-hmm. you know, for the Indians. The job that they've done. Underdogs coming in, lowest odds once the wild once the divisional round started, George. They had the lowest odds to get to the World Series. And so the real question is, has LeBron you know, gone to a game yet? Yeah, they've been to a few. Yeah. You know, he, he he guess he put his Yankee head away and now he's an Indian fan. He's got to, right? Well, people do forget that nine years ago LeBron went to an Indian Yankees playoff game, sat front row, had a Yankees head on. In Cleveland. In Cleveland? Yeah. Ten yeah. years ago? Oh yeah. Two thousand seven. Oh. So it's was fake. Flaunting his, yeah, oh yeah, it's fake. But uh, you know, I don't want to get into, I don't want to get into little fervors with members of my family. So we'll just gloss <laughs> over that. But yeah, you can look at the tape. Tape doesn't lie. Uh, but no, the Indians look, the Indians look good. Um, we're optimistic that they can get to the World Series and do something. Dodgers Cubs is a great series. Absolutely. It's that time of year for baseball. So we're, uh, you know, I'm, I'm locked in. I'm, I'm not a diehard baseball fan like some people we work with. But you're a diehard Cleveland Indian fan. Apparently. Yes, and playoff baseball is awesome, even when the Indians aren't in it. I like watching games that matter. It was 162 regular season games, but these playoff games mean something. So fun times. Now, George Canozian on the Money Mitch Effect, we're going to move to tennis. Baby George. And you know what? I keep. I hate that we have to keep talking about him, given the circumstances. Uh, but yeah. we do have to address Nick Kyrgios. Uh, he's in the news a lot. That's a positive, yeah, I guess. I got friends that don't even watch tennis coming up to me and be like, "Hey, so what's up with who's this Nick Kyrgios guy?" And I'm like, "Are you kidding? You guys know about him too? Like, what is <laughs> what is everybody doing to him?" Well, um, he got suspended eight weeks for his little tirade in Japan where he, or Shanghai, said he won Japan, went to Shanghai, quit in the middle of a match, there's no other way to put it, defended it after, defended that might have been the worst part, defending his behavior after, and then just, you know, went to Twitter, apologized, but what does that mean when he had that chance to apologize before? Eight-week suspension would end his season. He wants to cut it to three if he can see a sports psychiatrist, which he said he will do. So it's three. It's probably three. Now, my first reaction to this, George, is that I was a little shocked he was suspended, only because there's nothing in the rule book about this. So they had to go outside the lines here. And it it took them a little while, too. It did, and I think think they had to worry a little bit about what the reaction would be of the players. Because when you go outside the the lines... Everyone was probably pretty happy about it because he deserved the the punishment. If it's not in the rule books, you know what? Get it in the rule books because it should be. I think the only thing that would be alarming from another player on tour's standpoint is we have the, the governing body just kind of did their own thing. They went maverick. Mm-hmm. So is that a slippery slope? Hopefully it's not. But, look, he deserved to be suspended, man, because that's embarrassing. We talk about... To the sport well, himself, his country. There's a difference between having emotion, being, you know, you know, volatile, and that, and just quitting. And I take football, Odell Beckham Jr., Des Bryant, you know, receiver examples. Um, they're always going to give you their best. They might not act wholesome. They might, you know, be childish at times. But you never have to question their work ethic. And with Curios and all the talent in the world, you really do. Yeah, I mean, um, the guy, I mean, Curios is, 
Yeah, I'm just so sick and tired of him. Honestly, like he's, he's good. He's, he's he should a, be. Top no, he's a talented ten. player, but he's young and like I, I think he'll eventually get over the stage. And I think give him like a couple years and he's all talk about retiring early and I don't even want to play tennis. Basketball. Yeah, the basketball. Oh my god. Oh, wouldn't it be great like, if he was just awful? <laughs> I mean, he probably will be. He's gonna be in the celebrity game and probably score like ten points, but he's gonna think it's amazing. But he's playing against like Justin Bieber. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, I dropped thirty MB for watch out. Yeah, something. yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. So. No, I, I think it's. No, he's a, sh- a disgrace to the sport. I right mean, now, what, what he, yeah, what he did was, was awful. He started pissing me off when he made those comments about the Djokovic, like, time, like after the U.S. Open final and, and the timeouts. And he and, said and, he could care at the time in this yeah. tournament. He said he could care less about the World Tour finals. That tells me a lot about him as, as a ten- competitive tennis player. Uh, John McEnroe wants him to just shape up or shape out, and it's the legends. I mean, think about all the old guard tennis players that just have to be just gritting their teeth and shaking. Over how ridiculous this is! Oh yeah, I mean, the McEnroes, the Connors, the Rod Labors, even Federer and Djokovic now, and it all that paved the way for this kid. I mean, I don't understand. Like, does he? He just wants to be hated or something. I know he's trying to make a point. Like he has his personality, his own personality, and and this is like what he represents. But it's. Everyone hates him. <laughs> like, why would you want to be that guy it's if hard people booing at you? It's hard to defend. Like, you're just getting stubborn at the entire world? Yeah. Like, come on. Well, we'll see what happens as the show goes on. He does have a lot of talent, and if he gets the right guidance around him and listens yeah. to him, he can make runs with the, the old guard in the current sport right now. You know, getting up there. Next year, they'll all be 30 or older. Mm-hmm. So, the big four. And one of those members, actually the youngest member of the big four, Novak Djokovic, He's got 12 Grand Slams. He won two this year. But I don't, obviously he didn't have a bad year. But he's in a state right now, George, where he's not at his best. Mentally, he looks like he's, the levels are dipping a little bit. We saw him have a little bit of a meltdown in Shanghai, the injury at the U.S. Open. He hasn't played as much tennis as last year. Oh, you're right. You're what right. do you think about Djokovic going forward, you know, end of I 2016, think, end of 2017? Well, you're definitely, exa- you're slightly exaggerating. Because, like you said in the yeah. beginning, he has had a fantastic year. He still had a great. Mm-hmm. He's won two slams. He won I mean, Cincinnati. He yeah. won Indian Wells. Like he's right. he's had a decent year still. Sure, mm-hmm. it's not in the maybe typical Djokovic fashion that we're kind of accustomed to. Like him consistently winning for like twenty five, yeah. thirty matches. But hey, honestly, like it's the end of the year. Everyone's a little tired. Like. He's played a lot of tennis. Like I, I, I just give him a little break. He's the I, victim of his own success. And I was a little surprised we're, we're he had lost to Bautista Agut last week, but um, I think that might be the right. most. That, I think that might be Moscow. the most. I don't want to say alarming, but the most uh, you know shocking thing. Not that guys lose. Not even losing the stand in the U.S. Open, who's a you know a three-time Grand Slam champion now, mm-hmm. but Bautista Agut, who's never really had success against Djokovic. Oh, no. And it's fair to wonder at 29, you know, when he's going to slow down. If it, I don't think it's happened yet either, no. but it's going to happen I mean, soon. It's, it, every player has yeah. their ups and downs, and for me, this is just one of those downs. So and, I'll ask um, you this. At what point would you be worried about Djokovic if he doesn't play well in the World Tour Finals, if he doesn't... No, no, no. I, it, would have to, it would have to be next year, yeah. Okay, so if he, he doesn't do well Aussie Finals, like, I mean, in the ATP World Tour Finals, it's right. no big deal to me. But let's say he doesn't reach the final. Let's say semifinalist Aussie Open. Is that like, oh, okay, let's take notice? Or? He loses in the semis? Yeah. Then, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. I'm That's when you. I'm kind of like, huh? If he gets to like, the finals, he's probably you start, well, you start one, yeah. you start wondering because it's like this Nadal when Nadal was kind of like on his decline. I was kind of like a little worried, but I was like, ah, like he'll be back. He's like he's just like and, yeah. he'll be back. And then honestly, like he's just really kind of never been back. Yeah, I think it, a, it's a slower decline for these guys because you go from winning to finals to semis, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. yeah, then you get bounced early, but. Still a lot left for Djokovic, but Andy Murray right now, I know there's a disappointing five-set loss to Kenny Shikori at the U.S. Open, mm-hmm. but he's playing pretty well right now. He's won the last two tournaments. He's played in, uh, looking good going into the end of the year. Oh, yeah. You know, are you happy with, you know, Murray's bounce back after a disappointing loss at, you know, Flushing Meadows? Oh, yeah, I mean, Murray has made himself the clear number two um, in the ATP right now in the world, and um, his defense is just remarkable. Like, his... His fitness has just gone to another level now, and that's kind of what's ke- keeping him um, as a like a huge threat for everybody. And um, yeah, I mean, Murray's strong. You know, I, I see him winning this week in Moscow, and he won a he won a title last week or two weeks ago, right? Shanghai. Yeah, yeah won Shanghai. Shanghai. He won Shanghai. Um, you know, so I'm a. I'm a believer I just, of the Murray. Yeah, I, the, oh, the Murricane. I just want to. <laughs> I want to reiterate to future generations that might stumble upon this tape in 20 or 30 years. <laughs> History is not going to do Andy Murray justice. He's only got three Grand Slams, but he's been consistently one of the top four players in the world for a decade. And, you know, I don't... I, I, and he's, been, he's number two now. I mean, he's been right there. In 2006, he was number four. I mean, he's right there, consistently up there. Wow. Let's see, he won it... Okay, so maybe not 10 years, eight years. He won his first... You know, he got to his final in 08... Roddick was start kind of on the decline. Yeah, it has to be like so, a so it's about a decade. And I think he, because of his fitness, he can last another couple of years. Oh, yeah. But we're going to look at Grand Slam titles. We're going to look at Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, rightfully so. Murray's going to be well behind them. But he was right, you know, he's right there. And he's one of the best players that we've seen in a long time. And I, I like watching yeah. him play because he competes on every, on every point. Yeah, it's very passionate. And I think next year's going to be a big year for him. I really do. Um, with... I don't know that Djokovic is going to get to that stranglehold on all the majors again. Mm-hmm. If Federer doesn't bounce back, if Nadal never bounces back, I don't know if the young guys are ready to dethrone Murray. I, not yet, anyway. No. You know, so I like what I'm seeing out of Murray, and, and he's my front right. runner for World Tour Finals. As we go to that, you know, segue right into that. I like Andy Murray in that tournament. Djokovic is going to be there. He's always a threat. Mm-hmm. You got Nadal. You got some newcomers and Dominic Team. What are you thinking about for this? Tournament in uh, um, over a month, less than a month. My pick, yeah, uh, Gael Gael Monfi. Oh, your boy. That's my pick. I, you know, I don't, he's kind <laughs> of annoying. He's not really my boy. Actually, <laughs> no, that's why I'm all stunned. Yeah, well, or, I think or you're patronizing um, no, he's no, he's good. I think he's a, he's a good player still, and I think the reason I don't like him is just because he just constantly teases me. Like it's just he goes on these little runs, and you kind of like wonder. And then you stop wondering, and then you realize it's Monfi again, and then he does it over and over. And the hype of him when he's at his peak is just like the media just goes nuts. I mean, kind of a front-runner, right? He beats everybody he's supposed to, but when he faces the tough yeah, guys, it's like he won't mental. go that extra mile to no. try. It's, or it's just weird, and yeah. he mentally gets beaten by them. And like all of a sudden, he just starts playing weird tactics. And um, But he's, I think he's like my sleeper pick. To win. For some reason, I don't know why, I have just kind of have a feeling. Guys that I'm feeling. not really buying in this tournament, I know that's not 
I don't think the field's completely set yet. Uh, if it is, then it's pretty close. Uh, team, I like him, like the future, but he's tired. You know, yeah, he yeah. needs he needs some time. I feel off. like he's gonna get killed. Milos, no chance. <laughs> no chance. I mean, I for, the semis, is... for the semis, may, maybe not. Yeah. To, let's put it into perspective. Yeah, he to win this tournament, well. you got to make it out of your group. You got to go two for three in your group and then win two straight matches. So four out of five against the best players in the world. Yeah. When has Milos ever done that? So, no. so uh, let's stand though. I mean, yeah, can stand make that the, yeah. run. Yeah, he could. I mean, he's proven it before. Is he, if, is he dialed in? That's Imagine the question. Uh, he made the semis last year, but I don't know. We'll have to take a look at Rafael Nadal. Um, dude, he just he he can't chance, put. You know, he'll win a match. He'll surprise it, some I wish people. Del Potro but was like in there. Yeah, I'm, that's the guy we want to see. They should have that would have been awesome. Play. Yeah, but it's going to be a fun tournament. All right, George, moving along on the money, Mitch Effect, let's go to the women's game. Serena Williams is not playing in the WTA Tour Finals that are next week in Singapore. Second straight year, she's declined to go, which means Angelique Kerber, barring a miracle or a reversal of fortune, is the new number one player in the world for the end of the year. Starting with Kerber, unbelievable year she's had. Was there any reason to think that this was possible when the calendar flipped last January? Oh, I mean, no one thought that. Everyone knew she was kind of, you know, consistently a solid player. But no one definitely ever thought she would have been making made it this far. And then she kind of just kept surprising and turning heads. And all of a sudden, just she's number one. And I'm happy for her, though. Like, that's good that Serena did that so she can enjoy being number one it for a few more months because it's probably not going to last very well, long. Well, I think it would have been tough for Serena to catch her unless she was serious about every single tournament that she entered, you know, for the end of the year. And Kerber doesn't, you know, a little-known fact about tennis with the points to defend. Kerber has no points. She didn't win a match last year in the finals. She has no points to defend in this, so she's gaining left and right. So it would have been tough regardless. But the only thing I'll say, I, no one expected this, you're right, Kerber's uh, run to glory. Except I will say, last year she had a match we were here for in the U.S. Open 2015 against Azarenka. That went three sets, like 6-4 in the third, and I remember it was me, you, and a couple other people that work here discussing it, you know, thinking, wow, this is actually really good tennis. In the back of my mind, given the state of the women's game, which we'll address in a little bit, I thought it was possible she could win a major. I mean, I thought that was definitely, she was a top 10 player, and you never know. We've seen, you know, Flavia Panetta win, you know. But, but what she's done this yep. year, George, is the consistency. You're right. She won two majors. She lost in a major final and had one major setback and was winning premier level events it's nice to see it's nice to see for the first time in how many years a legitimate threat to serena williams i mean she hasn't had one oh, in years. No, yeah no it's been that part's been it's been good for the game to finally have a a lady that can like you said actually put up a fight against uh, and, against serena so I, and, i'm happy to see a rival and why can't she at least continue this into the future given serena's injury now she's in you know 34 34, 35, the desire, does she still have the desire to uh, not not win majors? I'm, she's obviously a threat at every major, but she's going to go on tour, go to the smaller tournaments to get her ranking points up. Oh, That's the thing. Like Now, if she... She won't. She would, I don't think she really cares about uh, her ranking. Last year she, she cares was, about the slam. She, you know, wants, to, she right, wants to get 23, 25, right? Margaret she's Court at 22, 20, right? Yeah. She's Margaret at 22 Court has 24. Right or 23. Margaret Court is 24, but she's tied she's with Steffi right at now. At 22. So she needs three more to have the record? Yeah. I, really? The problem, is, the problem is 
with Serena Williams, last year she dominated every slam. She was able to be number one in the world without having to play a lot of the tournaments. Yeah, not this year. This year she won one, went to you know finals and another, and you know went to the finals in two, won one, and lost in the semis of another. So didn't have that luxury. It's a tough ask. I mean, she's a great player, but all the great ones eventually do decline, and the motivation might not be there. But I wanted to see Serena play this Asian swing, play this um, WTA final, because I wanted Kerber to have to earn keeping that number one. She's lost a couple tournaments because, quite frankly, George, I don't think she you know, needs to win. She's not feeling the pressure. She had a great year. But I wanted to see a true rivalry in women's tennis. And, I, you know, we unfortunately we didn't see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But we, uh, we all have, know, we'll have to wait. Now that Serena's Australian been taken Open down. Australian Open will be good. Oh, yeah. They've had a several nice nice meetings over there. Oh, I'm ready Borderline for that delicious. Borderline delicious. Not, it's not betting season yet, I don't think. Mm, right now? No, I don't, we'll get the major bags. Okay. Yeah. I'm, George definitely didn't just wink. So we're going to move on to the state of the women's game. And Herbert had a great year. Serena is Serena. After that, it's a little thin. You know, we expect to see more out of Garbina. We expect to see more out of Garbini Muguruza. She wins the French, has a bad year. Wozniacki's been kind of like a pretty good player. Wozniacki bouncing back. Kvitova might be back on track. Kvitova, yeah. Halep, what's going on with her? But two faces next year that will return, allegedly, Maria Sharapova and Victoria Azarenka. Honestly, they need that. There's not a lot of good players in the in the WTA right now. So like, one Sharapova, those big names, those are the like those are the big hitters. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's just not a lot you of. You want to see new stars. Yeah, but the, no one's really coming coming up. Yeah. You want to see new stars, but like. Puskova, Carolina Puskova. Yeah, is yeah. twenty three. Had to run to the finals. Gave Kerber a heck of a match. Then nothing. Have you heard her name since? Nothing. Not really. I heard her sister's name today. Yeah. Well, it's hard to. Adjust. I'm gonna. We'll see next year. Bill on it. Yeah, I like Sean her game too. But it's it's tough. I mean, we want to see new stars. We're harping harping on it, but I think there's a there's mm-hmm. a chance that that could happen. Well, it remains to be seen. All right, George. Before I let you go on the money, Mitch effect, we have to discuss some other things, and that's the NBA, which we'll be previewing as the season gets going. But preseason basketball. Now you're a big preseason NBA guy. You, uh, you love preseason NBA basketball. That's just a fact. Well, my friends make fun of me for it. And you also love, I want to get this right, the Los Angeles Lakers? <laughs> I do. Okay. All right. So how excited are you that the Lakers get the Warriors tonight at the time of this taping in preseason basketball? And do you think the Lakers will be exciting to watch this season? I mean, Lakers, I think, uh, have a lot to cheer about right now. Because Number one, no more Byron Scott. No more Byron <laughs> Scott, and as much as I love Kobe Bryant, no more Kobe Bryant, and it's it's it's, it's wow. huge. It's mm. a it's a new team. It's it's just uh, they're they're a really fun team. If you just trust me on that, you guys just gotta all trust me on this one. D'Angelo Russell is has improved drastically, or he just has kind of like a new swag to him, and he's playing. He's making some ridiculous moves. Julius Randle can run, and uh, uh, Lance. Uh, Nance, Larry, 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 Larry Nance Jr. That guy's like a stud, turning into a stud. Heck of an athlete, just like his dad was. Um, I think there's, yeah. I think there's, there's hope there. Yeah. I want to see Ingram. I like that. Oh, absolutely. Like that I mean, yeah. and you know he's been. I, I, like I know a lot of people don't pay attention to preseason, and 
to be honest, I normally don't either. But just this year, the Lakers have just have. They, I'm really interested. Well, you get a young them. team that you want to see. Yeah, what they with look Ingram, like. exactly. it makes more so sense that's to why be involved. In I, I look at that, and then since I look at that, I end up kind of like looking around, watching other highlights, like. Watched the Celtics highlight the other night, and they look ridiculous. They're going to be good. Probably the oh second best team in the East. They look really good. And one of the best coaches in Brad Stevens. Oh, yeah. Here's they're, a they're question. A fun team. Here's a question I have about the Lakers. Will the pieces fit? Will all the young talent be able to gel together? And will they be able to make the moves to upgrade their team, which might involve sacrificing some talent? I, I want to see how they look in a meaningful game and how they look, and like what the 1-5 to five lineup looks like and how they're able to gel together. But there's a good chance they'll be pretty good. A few of them have better been playing than together. Bad, Jordan say. Clarkson yeah. and Randall and Russell, the second year together. It's not their mm-hmm. first time around. Sure, adding Ingram is the only thing. And Ingram is just slowly, throughout the season, just slowly going to take over. But he's going to start off a little bit, a little bit quiet, but more like defensive, hitting yeah. some nice threes, and then I, he'll be the star. Clarkson, to me, I don't, I'm not... A Clarkson hater, but he's got to be the guy that comes off the bench, plays like that yeah, six-man you know, role, I used, 20, 25 minutes, yeah, a lot of energy. Absolutely, I he, don't see him. I look starting. at him as like a great yeah. role player. Yeah, like he, he's a he's a solid, very solid role player. I don't think he's a star either. So but, how many years until the Lakers so, are better than the Clippers? <laughs> that's that's hard because right? I look at the Lakers, I look at the Clippers, and it's like big boys versus the little boys. <laughs> Yeah, in a very in a very literal sense, <laughs> yeah, like big it, boys versus little like boys. DeAndre Jordan just gonna like walk all over them. But um, they need a big guy. <laughs> they need yeah, because Randall's not that big. No, uh, Larry Nance is like a good defender, and he's like kind of big. But um, yeah. I think they have oh they got Thomas Robinson, <laughs> T Rob, T Rob, yeah, and Tariq Black, who's like honestly pretty solid off the bench. Well, he's a small guy too, but he's kind of like. One of those Reggie Evans kind of guys. Ooh, cool. The yeah. league needs more of them. Yeah, <laughs> I know. He, I like him. All right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what the product looks like in L.A. I like Kobe. Going to miss him. Going to miss him and Duncan out there and Garnett. Like, what an era that just retired. But it's better, especially in the Lakers' sense, to see what the young guys look like. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I love Kobe, too. And, sure, I miss him. But, honestly, like, I'm ready to move on. Like, I was ready to move on. Right, I don't want to get too soap opera in here no, talking no. about Kobe. We talked about Nadal. I could see you know some tears balling up, but we'll get through it. We'll get through it. Those were those were great guys. And then lastly, George, you're in the fantasy league, and I know last week you had the big win over Brian Nelson, who came on the show to talk about baseball, and he was pretty frank. He said uh, you needed to win more than he did. So. I mean, I don't know why I have a better record than him. I don't know why I would, I would think that. But, but I, I, finally I, I, suffered your first loss this week. You were undefeated, and uh, you know all good things must come to an end. Yeah, I mean, it was bound to happen. My, my team, um, I understand that it's not the greatest 5-0 and team, but um, I think I'm a really good manager. And I, oh, I think I think spin, I make spin zone right there. Yeah, like this Greg Olson, Tevin Coleman. So yeah, we got to talk about that. You traded the two Everyone, teams that were undefeated. Now you have one loss, but the other guy is undefeated. Yes. You traded Greg Olson for Tevin Coleman. Yes. Mm. And and the it might feedback, sound bad at first. The, the, oh, the feedback is everyone is coming bad. up to me and and saying, "Why'd you do that?" <laughs> but the way I look at it is, if everyone thought it was that bad of a trade, why didn't they veto it? Right. They have an option to do that. Brandon would have gotten upset. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a veto guy. 
Unless I really think a, a bad trade is a bad yeah, trade, yeah. but if you're really like, if I think there might be conspiracy, like, then I'll beat out. Let me, let me give you statistical numbers right here. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Greg Olson, number one tight end, right? Mm hmm. I gave him away, and I received the <laughs> number okay, the number <laughs> seven running back in the league statistically in Tevin Coleman. Okay, I got number seven, but I traded away number one. But on my bench, I have Kyle Rudolph on my tight end, who's the number six receiver in the so, league. Yeah. So um, I still have a solid tight end, and, and I just upgraded backs. in my running back. Okay. So it's perfect. Like, Tevin Coleman has had two bad weeks and four amazing weeks, with two of them being like 21-plus. Okay. That's solid. That's fair. That's solid. That's yeah. fair. My only uh, cross-examination question, counterpoint, would be, does Coleman start on his own team? I understand. Second Which, stringer. But you know that offense is... is right. Um, they 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 pass a lot. Dev, Tevin Coleman gets like about averages about four catches a game. He does, and so on, that's pretty solid. Hey, he's and, not gonna have a good running game. And honestly, the bigger worry is what the Falcons do down the stretch, where they've been noticed known to blow leads and fall themselves out of the playoffs. If the offense goes, Matt Ryan's lead the league in passing. Oh yeah, and I, I to be honest, I can really see. Like Devontae Freeman getting hurt, like. Well, time. that's a very. <laughs> no, I mean it's yeah. true though. Like he gets hurt. Uh, like, yeah. I, like no, I don't want to cheer for that, but like I can see it happening. Yeah, just don't be one of those guys. Oh no, yeah. absolutely. I I'm know. not gonna be happy when he's like hurt. <laughs> Crying like, on the field. Yeah, you don't want. It. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'll like want like a hamstring pull or something. Right. Nothing. That's nothing like I don't want him to break his leg. Yeah. <laughs> like, no long-term, yeah. you know, injury. Just <laughs> yeah. a solid hamstring pull. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, you didn't see your saying it. Yeah. I mean, I'm just paraphrasing. I hope not. All right, so, uh, and then lastly, you know, I mean, we, we got to point out that most of us in this league are actually really real fans of football. Some of us aren't. But could you see yourself playing a fantasy sport where you didn't actually enjoy the game? It'd be tough. I don't think, I couldn't do it. I just, you got to like watching football. I don't, how are we straight numbers guys? I mean, we're numbers guys, but not straight numbers guys, you know. I find that strange, too. I mean. Very strange. Hey. Sometimes I miss like watching the sport without fantasy. I know. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, uh, like I wonder what play. this would feel like if I didn't bet on it, <laughs> or if I didn't have like three guys on my fantasy. Yeah, we saw. I mean, I played you, and you had Crow all go for an 85 touchdown. He's a Browns running back. I was happy. You know, yeah. that trumps the the me fantasy implications. It's like with Ezekiel Elliott. Like yeah. whatever he does against me, I'm like, that's fine. Yeah, well, Prescott he's too. doing a lot, except yeah. putting pants on. All right, that's gonna let, uh, that's gonna wrap it up for this interview, George. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again and for hey, having me. I love being here. You know, shout out to my boys, Brett Connors, Ian Dunn, Brian Nelson, Mike Hasten, and the rest of the crew. That's it. Yeah, right. <laughs> everybody else is in the rest of the crew. Uh, category. Everyone else is still. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they are just uh, you know not worthy yet of the individual shout out. No, but, man. Thanks again for having me. For sure. And just so you know, next time, and I, I know it's going to be in the near future, not exactly when, but next time you're on the show, this is a little spoiler alert. You're not going to be alone. We're gonna. Have a third mic in here. We're gonna get some guests. So, just uh, I think I have an idea, but I some ideas. Yeah, that's uh, that's for us to know and them to find out. All right. right. Thanks again. Thanks again. Big shout out to George Denosian, and I wasn't lying. We are gonna have some special guests. He's gonna be a part of some special interviews down the road. I promise. Thanks to George. Thanks to Ron Schultz and Matt Wittenberg. Thanks to Tim Adams for supplying the beats. Thanks to Brian Nelson for supplying the logos. I'm feeling very gracious today. Indians are in the World Series. I don't know if you heard that yet. 
And thank you all for listening. You can listen to the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Google Play. I'm on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. You can see all the episodes there. Big week next week. I'm going to be back in Cleveland. We're going to try to do a World Series-themed podcast. And I've got some other interviews scheduled for next week as well. Some good things lined up. NBA starts next Tuesday. Hockey's in full effect. And the football world just keeps grinding along. We're going to have a great fall and a great winter. I guarantee you that. Thanks again for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. Mitch Michael signing off. Have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the sports.